0: Oh my goodness. Hi. Hope everyone is having a great day. Welcome to another episode of Every Mom Needs a Friend. So today's episode is something that took me a couple weeks to edit, meaning two things. Number one, it's a very long episode. Number two, I wanted to take tender love and care for this episode and really think about the content that was being delivered. And I want to make clear that I just have had it in the back of my mind that You listening to this wherever you are, you are coming from a background with baggage and those lenses make you listen to this episode differently. So I can think of a specific close friend that has never been able to get pregnant and this might be a hard episode for her to listen to because we literally don't address the people that can't get pregnant that is so difficult and that is something worthy of just saying out loud that this episode doesn't cover any of that it does cover miscarriage which is something that i've personally gone through and i will say i'm not a delicate person when it comes to talking about this so we just directly talk about it but i want to make it clear that if you've experienced miscarriage it is really hard to talk about and it might be hard for you to hear certain things that are talked about today And then at the end of the day, I will tell you, I just loved so many things about the way that Ashley, my friend who is the OB that is talking today, took a posture of directiveness, even though I know her heart, and I also will say you can hear it through her voice about how tender and sensitive she is and how much she cares for these women, even down to the idea that she uses terms like serving, like she feels like she is serving these sweet women through whatever they're going through, and it's really cool to hear her heart in that, but I also feel like it's worth saying that there were some points that stuck out to me that I'm like whoa amazing like can't wait for you to hear them and I wish we could sit together and like actually debrief this because I feel like certain aspects in my brain have changed after going through this conversation with Ashley but one thing that I feel called to just go ahead and preface is that so Ashley talks about postpartum being a privilege um, that that's really my words, those aren't her words, but the sense of that, especially where she is and where she's working, she's working with women who on average are going back to jobs really quickly and they don't have the opportunity to even care that much about postpartum and that doesn't mean that it's not a real thing and that doesn't mean that if you are in a situation like myself where i do worry and get to have this extra long term care postpartum that there's no reason to diminish that it's just a really cool mind reframing of the fact that that is a cool privilege that if you me anybody that's working through postpartum issues that just means that you have space in your brain to work through those and there's some things that ashley talks about that i think is really important like postpartum depression and stuff like that that is completely out of your control so i just think ashley does a really good job of talking through these things pretty direct but not you know belaboring the point that was something that i would say is intentional my part maybe her part but i will also say that i want to like leave room for the fact that each one of these issues and each one of these things could be talked about for the whole hour, could be talked about for days, honestly, because they're all so important and anything you're going through is so important. And I wish I could dedicate whole episodes to every single one of these topics, but this is just a great overview. So I'm really looking forward to you hearing this. I wish I could sit with you and watch your face as you hear some of these cool points. Like where was I in sixth grade health class? Cause some of these things I'm like was not covered. You know what I mean? I mean, I've clearly like know how to do the deed. So we didn't really get into that, aspect, but I definitely know that it is crazy to me that I've had three pregnancies. I'm in my fourth pregnancy and I didn't know some of these things. It's absolutely crazy. So good luck listening to this today. And also my heart is for you if this is going to be a harder episode for you to listen to based upon what has gone on in your life. So love y'all so much. So excited to jump in today's episode. And I almost wanted to call this a phone call with the OB because sound quality is So important to me. Y'all have heard me talk about it a hundred times. And Ashley's voice is so clear, but it is more like a phone call style. And so you'll kind of hear that pretty quickly. But yeah, I'm just so excited. So go ahead and jump into the episode and listen ahead. And I'm so thankful. And I can't wait to hear what you think. Okay. This is undoubtedly going to be one of my favorite episodes. And I'm just going ahead and saying it out. So today we have Ashley on, who is a deep, deep, long friend from many different seasons of life. And I am pumped. So Ashley, thank you for being on today. And should I say Mashley? Because that's what I, <laughs> you're still in my phone as Mashley.
1: <laughs> you know, I was wondering how long it would take you to bring up Mash. Yeah, I I thought it would be within the first couple of minutes. Yeah. So.
0: it actually feels quite odd to say Ash, Ashley. It's, it's Mash <laughs> in my book, but I know you go by Ashbo, right? That is like the most common.
1: Yeah. I've had somewhat of an identity crisis about that actually. So yeah. So, right. So, If you squish my first and my last names together, you get Ashbo. I've gone by that since eighth grade when I had three Ashleys on my soccer team. And then now that I'm like in the professional world, it feels a little weird. I'm like having a little, I know this is not the point of this podcast, but I'm like, how do I introduce myself? I don't know.
0: We should tangent and that's what we should talk about for the next hour. (laughs) But no, I'm so happy to have you on. You are someone that has known me a very long time. I've known you a very long time because our parents met long, long ago. And I actually don't even know if you would know the year, but I definitely know I was like in elementary school, right? Yeah, it was probably 98.
1: 97. They met at some elementary school, like PTA function or something like that. Yeah.
0: Oh, totally. And I think about one of the things that comes to mind is your house that was over there kind of by like 71 and Starbucks, like that house, I remember that house, and I'm like, that had to be elementary school because I feel like your dad yeah. took us to Awana. I was definitely like young being <laughs> at your house, which is so cool. But so, yeah. number one, thank you so much for coming on today. This is going to be such a blessing to me to get to talk through some of these things. But I know plenty of the listeners will love to hear from you. So thank you. It is absolutely my pleasure. Yeah, but let's start with me and you. So like I said, met when we were young. Is there any funny stories that come to mind? First impressions. We've gone through a lot of life together. So what quickly comes to mind? Okay.
1: So I, when we were talking before the show, you said you had a couple stories and I cannot wait (laughs) to hear what yours are. So I was thinking my, um, my like three things that I was thinking about. So Mm -hmm. you were a year ahead of me in school. And so you drove me like to and from school once you could drive. So I was thinking about riding in your car. You had that yellow, what was it? Like a Mazda? RX-8. It was a Mazda RX-8. Yes, yeah, so that like yellow car. And then you had your red Jetta, also cool, classy car. Mm-hmm. And then my other memory was when we went on that cruise with our fa- our families and then like one or two other families came. Mm-hmm. And you and I have that like, I mean, dare I say iconic picture yes. in Cozumel, 12 years old, smoking a cigar. Our dad
0: was <laughs> giving us a cigar that young. You know, not shame on them because no. honestly, we turned out to be bad A's. Yeah. So.
1: They knew it back exactly, then. <laughs> and then my third one I was like, Should I say this or not? Like, she might low key
0: still be mad about it. Do you remember the grape salad incident? Well, I do remember. Is it did you cut me or I cut you? One of us cut each other with each other's fingernails, <laughs> and we were, we were both competitive. So,
1: the way I recall it, which to be totally fair, may not be factual in any way, shape, or form, but you know, my mom would make this grape salad, and we were potlucking at your lake house, and I thought that just because my mom made it didn't mean I didn't get to get it. And there was like one last serving. And we were, like, running in front of each other to try and get it. And I think you, like, hurtled over something. Anyway, I got this, like, terrible cut on your
0: shin. but It, it, it was deep. It, hurt. it scarred <laughs> my heart, too. Now, I might have to text your mom and get that exact recipe so I can post that for everyone because it is – it's not a salad, to be fair. No,
1: it's like a southern salad where you're like, is that Cool Whip? <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly. And your mom is southern. Yeah. I love it. Okay, yeah. well, you want to hear my story? Yeah, absolutely. So you, you did cross over some of them. I would say deep core, core Memories of high school are us driving to school yeah. with the music so loud, so wildly loud. We had coordinated car dance routines to poker face. Remember, mama, mama, ma. like, <laughs> like, so funny. We definitely had, we shared that humor was like, we were so in line. Yeah. Okay. So that was my first memory, is like quickly popped in mind. Of course, also, we did cross over in other things like we played uh, mockingbird soccer. So we had select soccer too. So our moms would trade off taking us there and we always had we ate dinner on the way those type of things like a lot of those memories of just like doing a lot of life together okay so then do not say the boy if he comes to mind because i don't want this ever i yeah. i almost brought this up <laughs> okay so i'm talking on the phone to this boy in the car right and i go to hang up and it was the era of flip phones so i went to close the phone as i hung up and I don't think I was even asking for your opinion and you were like why do you <laughs> like him? <laughs> Which is great. I love that you had the report to tell me what you really thought. And he goes, "What?" Because the phone turned to speakerphone and he heard you ask and you you and I both did know this person quite well. So, it was a very funny awkward situation. We both were like dying. Yes. I all that actually was one of the
1: first ones that came to my mind. I was like, I'm not gonna bring that up, but I'm so glad you did. I don't hopefully
0: listen <sighs> to this podcast. Um, and then okay, but then also, you know, we just watched with Ellie Shrek for the first time. So it is a classic mash and a memory, but like yes. us were being able to recite that back and forth to each other. Did we just watch that on the way, like in the car a lot? Like why did we always Yeah,
1: like I think do we definitely watched it in the car. And you know, we would ride together to the beat like on like car trips and stuff like that. Remember that – what was that big, like, van your parents had? I mean, it was, like, big and green and boxy. And, like, the seats would turn around. And we would, like, play cards and stuff like that. And uh, I think we watched um, Shrek a couple times. So.
0: Plenty of times. And then truly, like, I have to say high school. Like, we got at least two times, maybe three times down to Panama City to your grandparents' place. So that was – sweet memories that was so fun I was looking at fun pictures and I think I sent you some that are so cute from high school we are just the most adorable people ever and then okay my last memory is doing would it have been your junior year prom prom Chaos. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was. I wore that oh, blue dress. Loved it. And you also had those little, they were like almost like twist like jewels going. go in. And like, <laughs> I don't know why, but I'm pretty sure I like re-curled your whole hair and you have very curly hair. So I, but it looked great. I think your hair came together awesome. I learned from Lindsay's
1: wedding, my younger sister, Lindsay, obviously, you know, I'm saying that for the listeners, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> the fans. Yeah. that's called texture. Ah, that's
0: the texture. yes. Okay. Well, you have- Which you know. Beautiful texture. You are a textured person. But okay, I love it. That is, it literally warmed my heart to be thinking of these memories. And I swear, I feel like I have such a vivid imagination. You were totally like in my dream last night and we probably reenacting these type of things. So do I miss you a lot. Know that we can't do a lot of life together because of both of our seasons and being so far away. Yeah. As you did mention, we do have this always common ground of the lake. We will always have the lake. We better always have the lake. Our parents better, better not do anything with (laughs) that.
1: Technically, I do not have the lake, but I go there a lot.
0: Technically, I don't either. So yes. Um, Okay. So when we get into today's episode, you are not just a friend of mine and you're actually not a mom. So every mom needs a friend. You're technically not a mom yet, but you do deal with moms a lot to be fair. I do. So let's start with what are you doing right now, your profession, and why are you equipped to talk about all these things?
1: Uh, yeah. So I um, went to medical school at University of Kentucky, but I'm currently in St. Louis. I'm in my last year of my OBGYN residency here. Um, I'll be graduating in uh, just about a month here, actually. And then I'll be moving back to Lexington and starting my fellowship in what's called maternal fetal medicine, which uh, is better explained as high risk obstetrics. Cool.
0: Okay, that's awesome. And so incredibly amazing all the things that you've done like I don't know if you would know this stat of like how many births you've been a part of but I know it's a lot before you even leave medical school like to be qualified like it's a lot and you've seen a lot I'm sure yeah
1: um and i learned this lesson early on and um finding the right setting to share some of what i've seen um and so i'm excited to delve as far deep into that as you want to on this podcast but a lot of what i've seen is really really sweet yeah i don't know if i know my number of how many birds i've been a part of it is a lot but yeah it's really sweet you know my my dad actually said one of the sweetest things to me um this past Mother's Day, I called my parents, you know, I called my mom to wish her happy Mother's Day. And my dad said, you know, and like you mentioned, I um, don't have kids, not a mom. And um, he was like, happy Mother's Day to you. He's like, this is your day too, because of what you do. I was
0: like, oh, that was really, really sweet. That is making my pregnant self almost come to mm-hmm. tears. Okay, that is real sweet. Okay, I would like to and we chatted about this that I don't want to be the one that has to give like the preface for warning. (laughs) You are, you have seen a lot. You do have tons of just knowledge from seeing it firsthand, but you've also very studied person, you that's what you have to do, I guess, to graduate. But so, yeah. do you want to talk us through any disclosures before we get into the meat of the, today's episode? Yeah,
1: for sure. Thanks for um, making some space for that. So, I wrote these out. You know, it's kind of interesting when I'm mixing my personal and my professional lives a little bit, and it's healthy to think of them as separate in some ways, but it's beautiful to intermix them. But So when I do things like this that are very clearly um, like not in a professional setting, but I'm sort of, I want to be like really clear. So like I mentioned, I'm just finishing residency. So I am definitely qualified to have these conversations, but I don't have the years of experience that a lot of physicians have. And so I encourage your listeners to talk to their own doctors, their own OBGYNs about any questions that they have. So my promise to you guys is that I'll share what I know and I'll do my best to clearly outline you know where the limits of my knowledge are. And then the second thing, this is a little bit more like a gray zone. So, everybody has a different style. So, the things I say don't necessarily represent how every physician or even every OBGYN feels. Okay. It's just me sharing how I feel and how I think. And so, I just want to go ahead and address one of these questions that you asked right off the bat. What I can say confidently is that no OBGYN gives a second thought to whether or not a woman shaves before her pap smear. I feel like that's very important to say right at the beginning.
0: (laughs) I have to say, it was a question that came up. It was very funny. And I have a funny story to tell you offline that will take about 30 minutes, but we'll save it for just me and you about shaving. Yes. Okay. Well, I appreciate you talking us through that. And it is clear. And it's one of those things that I think people know, but it's just fair to say, especially because we are going to talk about some tough things today. But so I am going to talk about real quick about the overarching kind of like outline of what we're going to go through today, because there's some things in some areas that I think some people are going to want to listen to more. And especially what's cool is this is one of my first episodes that people sent in a lot of questions. And so these aren't just Anna questions, even though a lot of questions I wonder, too. These are questions directly from the audience. But before I get into that, I don't want to skip over the big questions. So you have listened to a couple episodes, but just to be clear, the big question is a question that I get to ask my guest, or sometimes if I'm just talking, I basically self-ask myself. But we start with a clap. And this came from, you might have been at a dinner where we ever did this. You know that my dad is big into the big questions and all the questions get the juices flowing. But when we were little, Sam, my little brother, would slap the table, he'd say, big question. And then dad would ask, a question. And so that's kind of where that came from. But so if you'll, I'll count to three. And sometimes with the lag, it's funny, but one, two, three. (laughs) Okay, so the big question is, and this is something I'm dealing with, too, you do not live in the same city as your parents, and you are very close to your parents, your siblings, your family. How is that? Is that super tough for you? Do you feel like you're so knee deep in job that you don't think about it that much and are able to get back? Or is it something that you do feel? Yeah,
1: that's a great question. And I think it's something that a lot of people in this day and age deal with, with jobs and travel being easier, like, I don't know, I feel like in the olden days, like, you just like lived in the same community as your family. And it was multi generational Mm -hmm. household sometimes. And that's just how it was. And it's just really not that way. I think for me, you know, me growing up, I was always tender hearted and told my parents I was going to grow up and marry my dad and live in the the backyard in a tent yeah so it was a big deal for me when I matched in St. Louis for residency and I was excited and it was the right program for me but it was really tough but I have been so happy here and I think you have to like make community where you are you have to say okay I am here how can I make the most of my time and so I guess particularly for me in St. Louis you're right I'm so busy at my job Um, I have 23 built-in best friends pre-screened background checked Certifiably with at least one skill. So that made it like really easy for me to have a built in group of friends. Not that I got along with everybody, but that was kind of nice. My sister in law's parents actually live here in town and they've been so sweet and have just really welcomed me into their family. You know, pre COVID, I went to a church here. Now I do online church, which is a whole nother topic. So, and then keeping in touch with my family all the ways that we can. And um,
0: yeah. I guess that's my, my answer. Yeah. What about you? Oh gosh, I feel it all the time. And sometimes I'm mad at the city that I'm living in because my family doesn't live there. Mm-hmm. Like I would expect right. my whole family, including siblings and their families to always follow me wherever I go, but I feel it all the time. And I think uh, even though I'm not at a job, my job is my kids. And that does take up a lot of my day in and day out. But there's just so many times when I feel like I miss out on things. You can't get back for everything. So thanks for asking. I do feel it a lot. But I am so proud of you and all that you've done. And it's so cool. That you get to go back to Kentucky, even though your parents aren't there, you're going to feel so back at home, which is cool. So we'll talk a little more about that. But for the listener's sake, the questions that were sent in kind of fell in a couple different categories. And miscarriage was one that I definitely think I maybe pushed. But I do know that plenty of questions came in about early pregnancy and miscarriage. So we'll talk about that. We're going to talk a little bit about labor and delivery. I feel like labor and delivery is so you think that it's just one way. It's, there's a hundred different possibilities, maybe even more than a hundred. But anyway, so labor and delivery and then postpartum. And then at the end, we'll kind of talk a little bit about you being a doctor, that idea and how that feels. And that's so it's completely different than what I do all day. So very, very cool. OK, so let's start with early pregnancy and miscarriage. I don't know if this would say an easy one, but one of my questions that I got was, is it truly a 50% chance that you will have a boy or a girl?
1: Yeah, that's a good one. That's what a lot of people wonder. And, um, yes, <laughs> I don't know if we ever overlapped in any science classes in high school. I don't think we probably did.
0: I don't think we did. I was thinking about, you brought up the, the pungent? Poot, yeah, yeah. Pungent? I, yeah, but like the Punnett square. So yeah, just like our DNA is yeah. into
1: chromosomes. Each sperm and each egg has, you know, a humans made up of 46, but each gamete has 23. And so when they travel and they meet up, then they merge and they make 46. So the woman can only pass along an X because she has two X's. The dude has an X and a Y. Yeah. I mean, there's some thought to like, well, the X chromosome has more material, so it weighs more, so maybe you're more likely to have a girl, but the Y chromosome and the sperm weighs less, so it can travel faster. I mean, this gets into the weeds of basic science, but that is my Pretty contribution much okay. on that. Okay,
0: <laughs> well, and I have these two girls, and people are like, wow, two girls, you know, they look at Christopher, because they're like, oh, a girl dad, and I'm like, hey, it was quote, unquote, better way to say this, but your fault, like, you're, you know, you're the one that brings or the X or the Y, so it's up to you. technically." I know,
1: <laughs> and can I just say, you would have been a wonderful boy mom but i'm so glad you're
0: girl mom like you have always been my like fun girly friend that is Um, really sweet to say especially when we talk about the prom hair it was so fun to do your hair for prom okay and also you know what taking a tangent you're one of those people who don't wear a lot of makeup so when you put even just an ounce of makeup on you it's like if you're a supermodel golly okay so okay back to early pregnancy miscarriage so this is a question that i wanted to say is one of my main goals today i want i would love to, and I know it's way more complicated than this, but it's almost like I want to debunk the feeling that when women miscarry, they feel like it's their fault. They carry this burden that what did I do? And then also they, Lord willing, get pregnant again. How do I make sure I don't do this? So I guess my question to you is what is the common cause of miscarriage? Yeah,
1: that is such an important question. And it's one that I spend some time counseling you know, women about, I mean, gosh, I, I told you before we chatted, listening to your episodes about your, your own experience was so hard to hear as your friend. Thank you for sharing that and for being so articulate and well-spoken and just vulnerable. And I can only imagine how many people that touched. So thank you. I've seen a lot of women go through this and I will tell you, I have seen the whole spectrum of how people deal with and cope with miscarriage. Everybody's different. And I think you did a great job in your podcast kind of talking about that too. You're like, this is my journey. This is my story. Like, please don't compare it to yours. And I just want to like reiterate your wisdom in that. I have found that it is so valuable to just take some time and understand how you're feeling and how your emotions are and just sit with that and not try to make yourself feel anything that you don't. Um, You mentioned we'll kind of maybe hit on this at the end if we're, if it's like, Monday and not Tuesday, by the time we're like finished talking. But I've had this as, as I have experienced tough things in my career. Sometimes it really affects me, sometimes it doesn't. And I just have to check in and say, Am I numb? But anyway, I don't know if that's helpful or if that makes sense or if that's just a total ramble. But I want to give people space to kind of feel whatever they feel. But yeah, so miscarriage. I think everyone who has gone through this has probably spent some time either talking to women or like looking online, trying to find some resources what they have probably seen is that it happens to more people than you think. Unfortunately, it's just a fact of life. About half of those losses, I kind of mentioned DNA earlier, half of those losses are because something is genetically abnormal about the pregnancy. And the only way to find that out is if you're able to, um, you know, send the pregnancy to to take a look at the DNA in that. Otherwise, you know, you may not know for sure. But yeah, about half.
0: Golly. Wow. I think women worry. I would say I would happen to be in this boat of once I miscarry, I almost like label myself as I'm a person that miscarries instead of like saying this is just an unfortunate trauma that I went through. Yeah. And women wonder, and this was a question that I got a couple times, will basically women ask, and I'm sure they ask you straight to your face, am I going to miscarry again? Like how, how do I keep this from not happening? Is there a higher chance of miscarriage if you've already miscarried
1: right so that's an important question not to my understanding
0: I will say it's hard to look down the road and predict
1: who is going to have multiple miscarriages and I know you've kind of touched on this in previous episodes too there are women who do have a reason to have what's called recurrent pregnancy laws and we start that sort of workup after two miscarriages and so my kind of view on this is to tell women you know what this happens to a lot of women. Let's see what happens with your next one. If that unfortunately ends in a loss as well, then we'll talk about next steps for looking into it. But as of after, after a single loss, we fully expect that the next pregnancy will go well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I appreciate your answer because it is both. And this is interesting because the doctors that I have had have all had this nice balance of directness with the, the feeling of softness of like, I get it. This is absolutely horrible. Yeah. But also I liked the, even the, the verbiage around, let's go through this next one together and look at it because I think women need to have, well, okay, what's my next step? Like, if you just say like, no worries like just go back. And I've actually had plenty of people be like, you know, just relax and just try to get pregnant again. And I'm like, I need like formula here, you know? So for you to be like, I'm with you and let's go through this next pregnancy. And then we will talk again about it. And we'll talk the whole, I've made every doctor aware. I have anxiety about this yeah. and they are very kind, but direct. Of It's not going to help a, by worrying about it. Um, number one. But okay, thank you for that kind of direct answer. I remember specifically, and maybe I'll talk about this on a future episode, but I had um, some people try to give me their non doctors, I will say, give me their reason why I miscarried. And that is very dangerous. And uh, I say to anybody, it's just like, let's not dive into that unless maybe you are a doctor and you are her doctor and you are actually working with her. But so I had one lady that said, just make sure she told me this, just make sure when you get pregnant again, that you have them give you progesterone, because I bet you just you know, lost your baby because you didn't have the right quote unquote levels or something. So talk me through maybe why she said that or what that is. Yeah, I'm
1: sorry that, you know, that conversation made you feel that way. Progesterone is a natural hormone secreted by your body. So you're born with a certain number of eggs. Every cycle, um, your body recruits a certain number of those eggs. They grow. And then one of them becomes the dominant follicle or the graphene follicle. And then the certain trigger with a very confusing uh, series of hormone surges, the egg releases And the cyst wall that's left behind is called the corpus luteum cyst, and that secretes progesterone. That progesterone actually maintains the early pregnancy until the placenta grows and can secrete its own hormones to maintain the pregnancy. So you have, you know, naturally in your body a source of progesterone. The situations where I have seen progesterone administered in an early pregnancy is if for example, um, it's kind of interesting, but having that cyst on the ovary sometimes unbalances it and puts you at risk for an ovarian torsion. And so we have to do surgery to untwist the ovary and end up taking out that cyst wall. So you lose your source of progesterone. In that setting, we have to administer progesterone until you know X amount of weeks so that the pregnancy can continue. Aside from that, situations where it's universally accepted to administer progesterone in pregnancy, are women who have a history of preterm birth and a short cervix? You can do vaginal progesterone. There's something called the luteal phase defect, which to be honest with you is controversial. And so I don't know a ton about it, but there are women who, you know, based on a certain distance between their ovulation in their menses and it's not as long as you think and uh, that sort of thing, they will take progesterone. Progesterone doesn't hurt, but it just may not help is how I kind of talk to people about
0: it. Cool. Okay. Well said. That's awesome. I will say with this, the listeners know that I'm pregnant. And they didn't say it in those words, but they just said, oh yeah, like they basically could tell which side I ovulated from for this pregnancy because of what you just described, which is so, so cool. And which side was it? um, It was the right side. Nice. I'm like, I love my right side. (laughs) So let's see. Um, You did kind of touch on this. I have had someone tell me, I have a friend who lost one side and someone told me this, or this is one of those perpetuating things that some women tell each other. So I thought she would only have a period every other month because you ovulate every other month, you know, from each side. So egg drop from right and egg drop from left. Is that true?
1: Um, no, though it does make sense. Like I, I could totally see where you got that. Yeah, it's just so interesting how the body works. Truly, it's fascinating. And you see when you look at like pictures of drawings of the abdominal organs or whatever, it's all nicely stretched out. But just know that like in the body, it's just all squished in there together. So even if you ovulated from your right side, maybe it goes through your left tube. I mean, it's probably more common that it goes through your right tube, but like it could go through the other side too. And so it's just really interesting. So even with just one ovary, you definitely can get pregnant. That ovary will be the one that ovulates every cycle. So if I mentioned, for example, ovarian torsion or somebody has a cyst or something that needs to come out and the whole ovary ends up needing to come out, the average age of menopause is about 52. Even with taking out one ovary, so 50% of your ovaries, you only on average go through menopause about 2 years earlier which is kind of interesting i've always
0: thought yeah that is super interesting because i think i would assume it would like shorten it by half or you know that whole yeah. thing wow okay and you did touch on this earlier so i had ellie and kate both girls and when they were in my belly someone said they had you know your grandchildren are in your belly type thing of because the eggs are in them inside my belly. I know that there is a point when like the reproductive organs are, you know, created, grown inside your belly, inside the baby. So when are the eggs actually created? And like, I I mean, they talk about like gestational age of eggs, or maybe I'm saying that wrong, or like, you know, as you get older, less eggs maybe, or talk me through just like the eggs inside a woman's body.
1: Uh Yeah. Good question. So the eggs develop as the baby grows and the general stats that I tell people. In an embryo, an embryo has 6 million eggs on her ovaries, which is kind of wild. At the time of birth, that's halved to about 3 million. And then by the time that little girl reaches puberty, she has about 300,000 eggs left. Wow. And so, yeah, I don't know why the way you were saying like the age of the eggs made me kind of think about like tree rings. I don't know. It's not exactly like that. But yeah, I mean, definitely, I kind of mentioned it earlier. So each cycle, it's not just one egg that's recruited, grows, ovulates. It's actually like a grouping of eggs. And so that's why the number goes down so quickly, even though you're only ovulating for like 40 years or so. um, That's why even if you start with 300,000, it kind of goes down quickly. So cool. That is so interesting.
0: Okay. So those were some of my miscarriage questions. Obviously, feel free to cut me off at any point if I'm skipping over things that you want to talk about. But I would like to jump into truly labor and delivery. And it is something that women talk about. I've talked about this on previous episodes that Women talk about what was your labor story? That is like the common thing us women ask each other. And number one, I'll say as we we will go next into postpartum, There is not a lot of women talking about, tell me about your postpartum journey. It's always tell me your labor story. So labor, of course, is wildly important and so crazy and shocking. And you've seen so many births. But I'm excited to talk about postpartum too. But let's stay in labor and delivery for a second. Number one, there was this last pregnancy for me with Kate. Uh, She was born via C-section. And it was a non-emergent C-section, sunny side up which I know sunny side up, babies are born sunny side up. That's not the issue. She was like kind of just wedged oddly. I also think doctors have told me they think I have a fit issue. Like they think it's almost a miracle Ellie was born vaginally with no issue. And for this current pregnancy, um, I've been instructed there's a good chance I will probably bear this child via C-section. Totally fine. But so I did get induced with Kate and they did administer Pitocin. Can you quickly just talk about what is Pitocin and Is it only given during induction?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I love labor and delivery. It is like part of the bread and butter of our job. It has changed so much over the years. When I was thinking about what I was going to go into, I was really, you know, back and forth between a couple of different things. And I was like, OBGYN is like that mystery box that scares everybody. Like it scares doctors It certainly scares non-doctors. That's what I want to go into because people don't understand what happens there. And labor and delivery is um, always got something going on. So it is really a relatively recent thing that we induce labor. Used to be, you know, right? You just like wait or women would have all sorts of ways of starting their own labor. Right. So going for a walk eating spicy food, having intercourse, drinking castor oil. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, which I do not. This is not recommended by every mom needs a friend podcast. <laughs> so yeah. So if you're thinking about like induction methods, um, pitocin is definitely one of the most common. I tell women it's a synthetic version of your natural hormone oxytocin. So it's just about as natural as it gets. So it's administered through the IV. You can give it intramuscular, but that's not as a continuous infusion. That's just like if you come in
0: bleeding after delivery at your home or something like that.
1: But yes, it's given to the IV and it stimulates contraction.
0: Okay, easy peasy. I think what's interesting is you talked about it not being induction is not um, like every woman of all time had the option of getting it induced. I've actually had people... Uh, Not question, but just ask like, oh, were you okay with the Pitocin and stuff like that? Just like, you know, people, people have lots of opinions, what I've come to learn. Not to say we shouldn't talk with each other and share what's gone on with you, because that's how we, of course, grow too. But so for me, I've never gone through a natural labor in the sense of not having an epidural. Um, I did push with Kate with an epidural, and then Ellie was born normally um, through with an epidural. But women that have natural births, is that the way to call it, a non-epidural birth or non-medicated, maybe?
1: Yeah, it's, it's funny that you asked that question. I love that you asked it. I was talking about it the other day. I tend to call that an unmedicated birth.
0: So unmedicated versus... I get, I get the medicated would be epidural is what I am getting, what I'm receiving. Yeah. Um, So do natural labors versus an epidural labor, do they differ in the length? Like does a natural labor typically go quicker? Some people like get really hung up on
1: this. If there is a time difference, it's not more significant in, so labor is divided into three stages. So the first stage of labor is from zero to 10 centimeters of dilating. The second stage is from when you're 10 centimeters to when you push your baby out. And then the third stage is from delivery of the baby to the delivery of the placenta. So if you are looking at epidural versus no epidural, it does not change the length of the first stage of labor when you're dilating. It may make the length of the second stage of labor slightly longer, but you know what? You're going to be a lot more comfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Not true. (laughs) And then obviously doesn't affect the third stage. Okay.
0: Got it. Okay. I have to ask the question. I'm sure women have asked you did I poop? I don't know. I definitely have asked every single nurse and every single doctor. And they're usually so kind and so political, which makes me think that means I poop. (laughs) Do women commonly poop during labor? Just tell me straight. I I was thinking about how to answer this question. And
1: I was really tempted to be like, no woman poops during labor. I don't don't know what you're talking about. But you know what I mean? Like wink, wink. Like, you know what I mean? Um, Yes, I would say it is more common than not. And also, again, totally doesn't bother anyone. We generally have like lots of these blue towels on the, on the table in the back. We just kind of scoop it away and it's totally fine, you know? And I will say there's an interesting way, especially in spontaneous labor, you kind of don't eat as much in the days leading up to it, and you like may have your own like bowel movement before you come in, and um, I think the body has a way generally of kind of figuring these things out. But yes, it happens more often than not, it's totally fine.
0: Um, okay, so then um, my last question, I think, because we've covered mostly everything else, you being a doctor, there's doctors, and then there's also like midwives, doulas. What is like an, is a doula or a midwife a doctor? I mean I know I have friends they have had deliveries by a doula. So what is what I guess by a midwife. I'm not sure at this point. What are the classifications there? So
1: this is one of the beautiful things about modern day obstetrics. Is it really has expanded and there are all kinds of support people. Ultimately, the patient is the star of the show and we're just all there to help. So, your obstetrician is someone who's gone through medical school and residency, you know, done an OBGYN residency, has done probably at least a thousand births by the time they get to taking care of you. They're trained in vaginal deliveries, spontaneous vaginal deliveries, operative vaginal deliveries, meaning forceps or vacuum, and C section. So, they can kind of do the whole range. Then you have midwives who are certified nurse midwives or lay midwives. So there's kind of two different kinds. So certified nurse midwives go through um, a special certified training course. I think the one here they tend to do, I think it's like 40 births to get their certification. And they are qualified to assist in spontaneous vaginal deliveries. So not operative and they can assist in C-sections, but they're not the primary surgeon generally. They tend to be able to offer a more holistic focus and spend more time one-on-one with their patients. I think that's one of the awesome things that midwives can offer is they just typically aren't in as many directions as obstetricians. That's certified nurse midwives. Lay midwives are women with an interest in childbirth. And so they do not go through the same certification process as certified nurse midwives. Um, And so that's something to be on the lookout for as women are kind of looking for pregnancy support folks. And then lastly, doulas, they are support people for labor and delivery. It's funny because our professional organization, ACOG, actually says that women who have a doula have a higher chance of having a vaginal delivery over a C-section, which is kind of interesting. But I think it just goes to speak to the importance of having someone there as a support person in your labor and delivery to encourage you and to kind of walk that with you. So doulas are really lovely as well. And they're just women who are there to support, but they certainly can be a little bit more hands-on in the process than your typical support person. Mm -hmm. But yeah, those are some of the different roles. And I would have to throw in the labor and delivery nurses, huge role. They, you probably remember from your experience, but they at private hospitals, independently check cervixes, break bags of water, place internal monitors, turn up the pit, turn down the pit, call in the supervising doctors when it's time um, So they're a big part of the team as well. Yeah.
0: I I definitely had that situation when I had Ellie. It was like I didn't see my doctor until literally five minutes. That was it. Yep. Basically, all the pushing it felt like was with the nurse yep. for the most part. But um, So that was cool to hear you say that. I will say with Kate, it did work out. Like I said, it did end up being a Non emergency C section, but my doctor just happened to be there the whole time, which was also cool. But I will say, I mean, and I think any woman who has given birth in any different way knows that the nurses are just the sweetest thing. You just want to kiss them on the lips. You love those nurses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will say quickly, unfortunately, you know what I think is that Christopher is a doula because he. Just was there. He was the ultimate support person, and I can't wait to tell him that. Yes, it's a compliment. It's a compliment. You just don't know if your spouse is the one that's going to be in there with you. You don't know how they're going to be. And Christopher is easily grossed out. A germaphobe, you know, doesn't like to get blood drawn. But he ended up being awesome and not scared. You know, cut the cord, did all the things. So it's cool to see how people change. But he also was just truly my advocate, and I heard one doctor say, you know, you can just talk to him and I'll give instructions to him to give to you. So you don't have to think about anything else, any other person in this room, except for him. Kind of a cool way to do it. Just like to keep looking at him. And if I felt scared, I was telling him and he was asking different questions. Anyway, super cool to to talk through. Okay. So then they have the baby and they're in postpartum. And I even learned really quickly that the room that you deliver in is not where you stay. You actually move I guess, mm. to the postpartum wing, would that be clear to say, or postpartum room? Yeah. But postpartum is not just like the moments. I mean, the days that you're in the hospital, you're postpartum after you have the baby. And a lot of women call it like the fourth trimester type thing. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of, I don't want to say issues because it's not always issues, but there are a lot of, things that are going on with your body as in pregnancy and as in labor that you're like, what is going on? You don't feel in control of your body for sure. Lots of things happening. So I know there's a lot of issues that people have talked about and people sent in questions about, am I going to say this right? Diastasis recti? Is that right? Yeah, you got it. Perfect. What is that and pelvic floor therapy? Do you, as you talk to women in postpartum, what are some of the things that you bring up to them talking about those specific areas?
1: Yeah, I, think those are good questions and definitely important to a lot of women, not something that all women have the opportunity to focus on. And I will say I train in an area that has you know, a good proportion of underserved women. And so when, when I was thinking about that question, sometimes wish my patients, and I'm not saying this in any particular way, I wish that they were able to worry about those things. But often we're talking about WIC and bus transportation and car seat and you know, things like that. So I almost feel a little bit inadequate to answer that question. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to sort of explain why it's just not something that the current women that I serve talk a lot about. And that is not to diminish the importance of it because it is right. And it's your body and it's your body image. And it's so important. Yeah. So I'll tell you what I do know with the diastasis recti, very um common and there are a lot of like special exercises and apps and stuff like that that kind of focus on that a lot of women really like those as far as pelvic floor PT or physical therapy this is a growing area of expertise which I think is fantastic like a lot of things in women's health it's sort of lagged behind as an area of focus but obviously half the population goes through it so a lot of things happen when a baby comes out through the birth canal like a lot of things are stretched your bladder gets kind of stunned it's very common i always ask my women in my postpartum visits about this hey Are you having trouble with like losing control of your bladder or losing control of your bowels when you don't mean to? And you'd be surprised at how many women say yes. And they just didn't want to say anything until somebody asked them about it. So a lot of those things will get better in time, but pelvic floor PT is fantastic. So definitely ask your doctor if they have a referral or somebody that they like and can refer you to, and you can go afterward. It is like one-on-one appointments. It is generally a female physical therapist. And, you know, you kind of, get in comfortable clothing. You generally are undressed from the waist down and they help you focus on those particular muscles. And they show you strengthening exercises and stretching and things like that, because the muscles that make up your pelvic floor are like a bowl and they are also intertwined and connected that if one of them is kind of stretched or um, on tension, it can really affect um, your whole pelvic floor, which um, contains a lot of you know nerves and affects a lot of what you do. Wow.
0: So Okay. So cool. And to jump back, I really just appreciate your take on this might be the weird way to say it, but it is a privilege to get to worry about these things. I even go so far to say it's a privilege to have a spouse. To come home to and to help me through this postpartum i know women i also obviously know that there is plenty of women who just like you said like they might not be coming home to someone who is helping them mm-hmm. and then also yeah. there are the women that might go back to work at six or eight weeks and that, that is so hard for me to fathom because it, it was hard for me to think about and i remember crossing that milestone with both girls and thought wow, I'd be going back to work right now. And it'd be really hard. So thank you for talking about that too. That's really interesting. And there are women all the time that go through postpartum depression. And I know that in postpartum visits, at least I remember that the doctor is just like they're asking about the bladder control. They're asking about basically how you feel. It feels like a counselor session too. Mm -hmm. Is postpartum depression common? Is there varying... Um, intensity of it, I guess, is a question I might have. What about that? You know,
1: there's so many reasons that I'm grateful to live when you and I are living, like in this current day. You know, there's a lot that can be said about it that is, you know, negative or uh, in a bad way. But overall, on the balance, I am so thankful to live now. And one of the reasons is that mental health is really being talked about and prioritized and openly um, acknowledged. This is one of those things, too, that a lot of women just like silently suffered. In the past, and so it is very common for most women to have what's called baby blues. So that is like the first two weeks after your delivery. I mean, hormones are all over the place. You're sleeping about like ten minutes every couple hours. It is not a sustainable lifestyle and in most women that comes out in in feeling anxious or sad. And if you have like an underlying mood thing, whether that's anxiety, depression, um, anything like that, it's often exacerbated during those times. And so baby blues is one thing. Postpartum depression is if it lasts longer than about two weeks and it tends to affect your daily life. So if you're sad, but it doesn't bother you, you're still able to do what you need to do. Hmm. There's a question of, is that clinical depression or is that just kind of how your personality is? Um, and that's okay because everybody's different. And then postpartum psychosis would be sort of a whole different realm. That's not feeling sad, but that's actually um, kind of swinging the other direction, and that can be fairly dangerous. Um, that can put your, you know, yourself or your baby at risk. And luckily, that's much more rare. Um, and so probably what you know happened at your postpartum visit and a lot of postpartum visit is you know the physician just checks in. Um, but then they'll give you a little questionnaire called the, ED- the EDPS. I couldn't even tell you what it stands for, but the like postpartum mood scale. Oh, I'm going to listen to this later and be so mad at myself. But the EDPS, that is like a mood questionnaire that they'll kind of track and see how you're doing.
0: Got it. Okay. That's a lot of the postpartum questions I wanted to say. I'm interested to, and obviously I can follow up with you if people come up with other things and I can talk about it on future episodes. But those that was a lot of the meat of the episode. I also want to talk about you as a doctor. You are, you mentioned this earlier, it is a wildly tough job, cool job. You get to see things and experience things that people would love to see and people talk about how beautiful it is. You also have really tough parts of your job. Why don't we start with A, like you decided I guess, in college to dis- to do this. And then, I mean, it's like, it almost feels like a calling because it's an undertaking. Like, I think doctors are really cool people that have decided to work really hard for something and to serve the community. And so talk about medical training, how that was going through. I mean, you're pretty much finishing it up as you enter into this next phase of fellowship. Um, so maybe talk a little bit about that. And then we can talk a little more about the emotion behind being a doctor. Yeah,
1: I love it. Um, You know, there's so many medical shows out there. And when I was in medical school, I remember people are like, okay, so on Grey's Anatomy, like, which character are you? And I'm like, (laughs) I'm not even on Grey's Anatomy yet. Like I didn't, I'm not even there. Yeah. So yes, to your point, is a very long road. But yeah. So you um, tend to in undergraduate, some people have pre med majors, some people major in something else, and did you do your prerequisites? And then you go to medical school, which is four years. Some places have accelerated programs, which crunches it into three. And to be honest with you, I cannot imagine. I don't know how. I have never worked so hard in my life. Well, I've had to study my hard my whole life, or like really starting in high school. I <laughs> always had to work hard. Yeah. Yeah. Medical school is. Uh, incredibly grueling. And then you go through what's called a match, which my brother-in-law sweetly described as like the NFL draft for medical people. Totally. Yeah. You're like, I would like to do OBGYN. And then you apply to these places, you go interview at these places, and then you submit your preferences and the program submit their preferences. And then the computer algorithm puts them all together and spits out a place for people to go. And then you just go wherever it tells you. And then the residency length depends on the specialty. So the three years is the shortest. And then I think seven years with neurosurgery is the longest. OBGYN is four. So it's kind of in the middle there. Wow. And then once you graduate residency, you can go out on your own. You can uh, be what's called an attending. So you can practice independently. You can, at any point when you're an attending, complete a fellowship if you like. That's an additional specialization within your field. So for OBGYN, it's things like reproductive endocrinology and fertility, GYN oncology, or, you know, for example, what I'm doing, maternal fetal medicine. So it's a subspecialization. It's an interesting hybrid where you're not a resident, but you're not technically an attending in that area of your life. Um, so that's an optional additional training.
0: Okay. So then, but through this time, these years that you're talking about, you had COVID. I mean, not you, have, actually, did you ever have a COVID? Actually, I
1: think I had it a month or two ago, and, and I just wore a mask all the time. <laughs> you do? I mean, I've yeah. been
0: in, in the hospital, I delivered Kate under. A lot of masks because it was Ooh, December 2020. Pushed in a mask. That is terrible. he did let me take it off right then, and I actually don't think I asked at that point because I was like, "I'm good." How, what was your experience with that? You know, you're still in your four year program, so I don't know where you were at when it technically first hit. Um, So, how does that change even just OB or like, what are your thoughts about that right now? Yeah, I mean, I
1: I think people will be reflecting on the COVID pandemic for many years to come, and. I hope that they are because it means something new hasn't come in the meantime and we're still thinking about it. You know what I mean? Um, for me, it was in the spring of my second year of residency when it came about. So I actually remember we had been at the lake for my niece Lydia's soup and feed, wow. and there were some friends there and family and you know, as, as you know, but the lake is kind of secluded. And I just remember feeling so comfortable and safe and, I was hearing we were hearing rumors of COVID, right? And I remember driving away back to my job at a hospital and thinking that was the craziest thing I had ever done, leaving that place with my family and safety. And then you come back and it is just fear everywhere. Um, right? Like healthcare heroes. You have to do your job and I don't know. You see the full gamut of human emotion and capability from the good to the bad. And it's not that I blame anybody for reacting like they do, especially if you have loved one that you're worried about or whatever. But um, it truly was a time where you really see a lot of sides of people. And for us in residency, uh, it's hard because we're still trainees, but we're also functioning and we're a functioning part of the hospital. So that was something that a lot of medical trainees went through, like trying to figure out their role. There was a lot of discontent among the medical trainee population about, you know, should we get hazard pay? Should we be forced to work in these conditions? Should we unionize? Should we walk out? I, you know, are we, what's our duty here? Wow. So it was an interesting time to be in medical training. We flipped to a schedule. Normally you work Monday through Friday and every other weekend in residency. And we flipped to a schedule where you did seven days on, seven days off. And I remember I worked seven nights in a row. And then I was off for seven, and I worked seven nights in a row, and I was off for seven. And I just remember my circadian rhythm was so disturbed, and there was so much unknown. It was like a really terrible time. <laughs> but the plus side of that is that the residents all got really close and really um, kind of nestled into one another. And I'm so thankful for that outlet because we we're like, well, we see each other at work. I guess we can still see each other not out of at work. So I had like a built-in crew, which I'm very thankful for, which circling back to the beginning, you know, not having family
0: in town point. was really important to me. Wow. Yes. Yeah, crazy. It's everybody experiences different things. I think, like you said, and we're going to be old people sitting at the lake being like, you remember? Remember COVID, you know, yes. okay. So this is my last kind of grouping of question, because I've thought about this before I have, you know, my aunt Bonnie, she's been a nurse for so long and in different situations. And I always asked her, like, how did you deal with like people dying around you and stuff like that? But yeah. you, you do see a tough part um, with miscarriage with, I'm sure, stillbirth, yeah. that type of thing. So mm. start with the bad and we'll end with the good. So what is the toughest part of your job and how do you not, like you talked about being numb and stuff, yeah. and that, how do you not take that
1: home? I think everybody takes it home to some degree. For me, I read a lot and I write about it and I'm lucky to have good friends that I can kind of process that with. And this is coming on the heels of two very tough cases that I've had within the last Two months, um, which I'm happy to talk about it. And these are this is a conglomeration of experiences from my residency and my medical school. But the things that humans go through are really terrible sometimes. For me, that's included being there during code blues, and sometimes that person comes back, and sometimes they don't. And I guess I have two relevant things to share there. One is that in fifth grade, I was running for class secretary and I told my grandfather who you've met, Papa, like, Papa, I don't know if I can vote for myself. That feels weird. And he was like, if you don't vote for yourself, why should anybody else? And I, I think about that in medical settings because I think a lot of people struggle with some sense of inadequacy. And if you don't, maybe you should. You know what I mean? But the question is, if I don't do this, somebody else should. And like I know how qualified i am and would they be any better than i am ah. and then the second uh thing that i actually think about all the time one of my favorite movies is the guardian with kevin costner and ashton kutcher have you seen this one? i have not seen yeah. I know what
0: you're talking about oh you
1: gotta watch it so good so basically it's about coast guard rescue swimmers and um kevin costner is like the older guy who's training and ashton kutcher is like the young dude the cocky dude who comes in and uh he ends up c- completing school and they're going out together And they're having a beer before one of their first missions. And Ashton Kutcher is like, hey, man, what's your number? It's almost akin to what you asked me earlier, which is how many babies have you delivered? He was like, how many people have you saved? Kevin Costner says, eight. And Ashton Kutcher's like, ah, it's eight. He's like, well, it's not 200. But like, it's eight. That's pretty good. And Kevin Costner's like, buddy, eight is the number of people that I've lost. And that's the only number that I keep track of. And to ask some coaches like, how do you deal with that? And Kevin Costner says, I swim as hard as I can for as fast as I can. And the sea takes the rest. And I think for me, that has always been something that's brought me peace and nobody's ever at a hundred percent. Well, nobody's always at a hundred percent, I should say. And that's okay. That's just human. But you have to study and work hard and do the small things right. And I think that's applicable to everybody listening in some area of their lives, right? That's not just medicine. But so that when those big moments come, you're ready. And you never know when they'll come. They'll surprise you. And sometimes things that you don't recognize as big moments at the time are later.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, Wow! Number one, gotta watch the Guardian. Yeah. Number two, love just how sentimental you are and how you keep these things in your heart and you bring them forward and that's so cool. But I would love to end on a high. In that, obviously, babies are born. But so, what's your favorite part of your job and what like brings you yeah. the most joy?
1: I I mean, there are hard days, right? Like we've talked about that. Everyone knows. But what I do is so much fun. I love the variety. I come in, I round, I see patients. I go to labor and delivery. I push with a woman, I deliver her baby, we lion king it, the dad announces the sex of the baby, then I'm like, goodbye. And then I go to the operating room, and I do a surgery, and I help somebody who's had pain for years. And then I go to clinic, and I see patients in clinic that I've known for years. And it's hard to pick one particular moment. That's my favorite. But I think that's one of the reasons people are drawn to and is because they kind of like the variety. But yeah. So, so lucky to get to have this as my job. I tell people all the time, like sometimes you have bad days, but on the balance, very cool.
0: So cool. And it makes me want to almost end with kind of how we started with your dad wishing you happy Mother's Day, because it, you, you get to be a part of that. And as, praise the Lord, I've gotten to experience it firsthand. I have been able to bear children this way. I know plenty of women do not get to do this. And so I definitely right. take it as a blessing. And Um, I am reminded all the time, even in my aches and pains of this current pregnancy of like, this is number one, a miracle. It feels like a miracle. Number two, like just not every woman gets to experience this and some women experience different versions of this. So just, I'm so thankful for today in this moment. Mm. And that is just, it's so cool to hear your side of it because you know, I do have a good rapport with this current doctor and with my previous doctors, but it's cool to hear like behind the curtain, like I know you and I know your heart and it's just so cool to hear all these things. And thank you so, so much for talking through all these different facets of all the parts that go into OB and Gosh, like I just feel like congratulations for getting <laughs> thus far. You're doing to see all the things that you do. Wish you could be my doctor, but also, is that strange to ever? <laughs> people you know, I don't know. Not at all. Ah, uh, so long story short, thank you so much. I am. You did send me some resources. I'm gonna be yep. that on the Instagram as well as the website. So anybody to see where a lot of these information and stats from today were from? I'm gonna make sure to post those. But also, maybe just to also circle back to the weekend. Yeah, you should feel comfortable to talk to your doctor about these type of things. If anybody out there and there was a percentage of women, as I took a poll that did not feel comfortable talking to the doctor, and I don't know what that fit the reason why they didn't. But I mean, I would die to have you as my doctor because I know how you would practice and it would be with so, so much heart, but like I said, directiveness too. And I appreciate that. Um, it's a really cool thing. So thanks again for coming on. This has been one of my favorite episodes and so much fun. And I miss you. Oh,
1: thank you for having me. So proud of you. Have loved hearing your stories and, and watching you grow and, and all your new roles too. So including podcaster. So.
0: I know what the heck I just updated my LinkedIn title to podcast host and editor and I'm like wow wowie wow (laughs) (laughs) as you should as I should It, it. it is it's good work I appreciate it but it's also what you do is pretty cool pretty darn cool so all right well I love you so much I hope you have a good night thank you so much for talking to me today and we will talk really soon all right love you friend Uh, Okay, what do you think? What did you think about all of those questions and all of the descriptions and all the things? I just felt like as I was listening to it, I was shocked that I didn't know all of these things. I was kind of hoping going into today's episode that this would be an episode for someone who's never gotten pregnant and they wanted to hear about, you know, all the different things. I did know that, of course, these questions were given to me by y'all through Instagram. So, quick little plug for the Instagram that that is a great way to connect with me and this podcast. And so I do appreciate y'all sending in those questions and I know that today's episode did cover miscarriage and that's something very near and dear to my heart in a weird backwards way, but so that being said, I just feel like she did cover so many good points and I just really loved hearing from her. It was so fun. I also just want to plug real quick, y'all giving me topics and ideas that you want to hear from. I just had two people last week send me episode ideas. and. It has inspired me and put a fire underneath me, and I'm just so excited for those future episodes, knowing that it's something that I would love to speak to, but it's something that was given to me by y'all. So big, big thank you to y'all, and also, yes, please send me. Let me know what you want to talk about, and I've talked about this pretty recently, but that... We are getting close to the year mark and so I will be taking off a tiny bit of time as I look forward to season two which we this year which will be basically in a month we'll start season two but I do have some really fun things already lined up especially like with other friends and I'm really excited because I just feel like more than ever I have been surrounded in my life by people that are so much cooler than me and can speak to so many cool topics like today's episode. I will also say that y'all have heard from Sam my brother, Molly my sister-in-law his wife and then of course my Sweet husband christopher before but they visited last week and so christopher and i sat down with sam and molly and i have to plug christopher that he called this the quad cast which is four of us sitting down and talking and it was very fun and very silly so I do say that I love that this episode was way more informative and then next episode can be more fun because y'all know I do have a fluffy bucket and that is the bucket that's going to be spoken to next week but I love that this week the mama bucket was definitely filled up so love y'all so much thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to next week's episode y'all have the best day love y'all